So I'm hoping to debate any blockchain person, any Bitcoin person in particular, any Bitcoin maxi in particular, uh, on any topic. Um, you know, I have my favorite topics, and that is the, the idea that Bitcoin is basically seizing government power. They are lobbying government. And yet at the same time, they're, they're trying to argue that, oh, Bitcoin is bipartisan. Bitcoin is, is politically neutral. Bitcoin appeals to people on both sides of the aisle. And I have to just say, if you're going political with Bitcoin, you are not going to win both sides of the aisle. This is extremely, extremely naive. Um, and, and I think just, uh, I guess a marketing ploy to, uh, to try to get the people who already like Bitcoin and maybe fall on the Democratic side or the Republican side or whatever side you fall on to not then abandon it because it's associated with a particular side of the aisle. So they're trying to save face. They're trying to, because Bitcoin and crypto in general is such a singular issue, they don't want to make it political because they have everything to lose by making it political, right? Because if it's a single issue, that's your single issue. But if it becomes um, embedded, sort of naturally embedded into one side, or if one side seems to be favoring it more than another, like the Republicans maybe seem to be favoring it more than the Democrats, and I would say that's, that's probably true, even though there are some Democratic candidates. Um, I would say that in general, yes, it's true. They don't want that to happen because they want it to remain a independent, single issue for voters. Yet that's just not going to happen. This is, you know, in their wet dreams. This is not going to happen for the Bitcoiners, for the Bitcoin maxis, for any of the crypto bros out there. This is going to become highly political. But, you know, and why? All you have to do is... You know, look at what these Bitcoin politicians, these Bitcoiners who are advocating for government power, look at what they're doing. You know, I was very upset by this whole Bitcoin can be accepted for taxes. Bitcoin is being promoted as this thing that can be legal tender in different states. Um, I don't really give a shit about what happens in El Salvador, you know, but I do give a shit what happens in the U.S. because I'm a U.S. resident, right? So... I do care if Texas or Arizona um, become, or Colorado, God forbid, uh, accept Bitcoin for taxes, or if these states somehow pass Bitcoin legal tender laws, which would be unconstitutional. But if they somehow did that, I, I'd be very against this. I don't give a shit what happens in the Central Republic of, of, of Africa, this shithole country in Africa. Um, that may be, you know, recently announced that they're going to have Bitcoin as legal tender. I really don't give a shit. I don't think it makes a difference to this country. This country is poor, corrupt. Um, do I really think that Bitcoin is going to make a difference there? No. In fact, 
it's going to uh, further impoverish these residents. Uh, it's, it's just it's just a single signal of more corruption. Um, you know, and the Bitcoiners really you know pat themselves back for for perpetuating this corruption in all of these poor countries like El Salvador and uh, and Africa. They they you know well, you know let's let's give a hand to them. You know, I re- I really want to congratulate them on being able to victimize even. <laughs> poorer people than there are in the U.S. And this was a strategy of this this other Ponzi herbal life that Bill Ackman tried to go against. You know, and poor Bill Ackman, he's he's had a tough week. He's had a, a tough couple weeks. I think he took a $400 million loss on Netflix. I mean, this guy, I feel kind of sorry for him, especially, you know, after watching what he he had to say about herbal life. And the presentation he did, uh, you know, trying to expose the Ponzi that Herbalife was. And, and I bring up this Ponzi in particular because um, it was never punished. And number two, it preyed upon Latin America. It, it preyed upon um, other countries that were actually more poor than the Western world. And these people that perpetrated this Ponzi, and it literally was a Ponzi. It was just a very well-veiled Ponzi, a very well-hidden Ponzi. But the people that perpetrated it, you know, were Western elite American type people who basically took advantage of more stupid people in diverse countries like, you know, South America. And the same thing is happening with Bitcoin Anytime you see a Bitcoiner, you know, I hate to say it, like a Gladstein type guy who's, who's purported to care about the Bitcoin, you know, humanitarian, uh, expansion, you know, the unbanked. Anytime you see the word unbanked in Bitcoin, think exploited in Bitcoin. <laughs> think, uh, stupid in Bitcoin. Think, oh, my next victim, uh, for the Bitcoin Ponzi. And that is a fact. You know, Western countries export their Ponzi's uh, to stupider people, to stupider countries, like people in Africa who are, you know, less developed, less educated, have lower average IQs, um, who have corrupt governments, number one. You know, their governments are basically accepting bribes from the Alex Gladsteins of the world, uh, to to push Bitcoin. That's all a marketing campaign. I mean, let's be honest here. Do the central Republican Africans, I mean, do they have a lot of dollars to buy Bitcoin? Can they, do they have enough dollars to like cash out these Bitcoin whales? I mean, I kind of doubt it. Don't they live on like $2 a day? You know, so, so where is the funds going to come from? Right? This is all a PR stunt. This is why it's all over Twitter in the Western world. This is all a, a PR stunt. This is all marketing to make you think that Bitcoin is a currency when it's not. To make you think that Bitcoin is being accepted by these corrupt governments to help uncorrupt them, right? To, to help decorrupt them, to help vacuum up all the corruption and scandal that exists in Africa. You know, but but a country like Africa or El Salvador, 
Let's stop and think about principles for a second. Do we really think that changing the currency, the illegal tender, you know, money that the government dictates is going to end corruption in these countries? I would ask how? No, in my opinion, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoiners um, that are falsely led to this idea that Bitcoin can fix everything, but it can't. It really depends on the people. It depends on the government. Number one, when I was listening to this debate between Alex Epstein and so it wasn't a debate, it was an interview, sorry, between Alex Epstein and Peter McCormack uh, earlier today. And the thing that Peter McCormack, I think, failed to grasp, and maybe Alex didn't do a good job of explaining it, but the, the thing that was failed to be communicated was that the West, the West is not responsible for the plight of Africans, of Africa. Yes, Alex Epstein conceded that the West has discouraged fossil fuel usage by these developing nations by, by, by way of, um, conditioning, you know, perhaps loans or aid, right, to these countries, to these countries. So we've somewhat steered a little bit, you know, the fact that they haven't embraced, say, fossil fuels. But that's not the only reason why these countries have failed to industrialize. It's also the fact that they don't have freedom. They're corrupt. You know, they don't have freedom. So you need ingenuity uh, to transform nature um, in order to be productive, in order to raise your standard of living, in order to, to increase productivity of a nation. You need to be free to use your intellect to transform nature, to, to create value for other people, to transform nature. And, you know, it doesn't matter what these Africans, like, use to, to transact. It's the, it's the ability to transform nature that they're lacking. You know, maybe it's IQ, you know, and I think it is. I think that average IQ does matter. But, you know, maybe freedom matters more than IQ. And for sure, IQ and freedom uh, are both necessary to, to transform nature and to be productive and to raise your standard of living. Um, so, so again, Peter McCormick thinks, well, his, he, he, the way he tried to pin Alex was, hey, you know, the West has discouraged the use of fossil fuels to develop Africa. And so the West should have this duty to Africa to, to help them, like as far as any negative effects of climate change, because we use fossil fuels in our development and we discourage them in their fossil fuels with their development in Africa. So we're, so while they might have benefited from clean water or medicine from the West, we discourage them. So we're ultimately responsible. And, and, you know, Alex conceded as well as this interesting point, but it's not the main point. Like, so it's a small subset of maybe the entire situation that's going on there. 
and the entire situation that's going on there is the fact that this nation is anti-freedom, corrupt in in and of itself. If they were totally free, they wouldn't need the West dollars. They wouldn't need our our loans. They wouldn't have to bow down to the West um, goals of saying, hey, well, you want to develop, yes, but you can't use fossil fuels. Uh, They wouldn't care. They'd say, screw you. We don't need your money. We're, We're totally free to do what we want. Uh, we can finance our own productivity, um, you know, so we're going to use whatever resource we want, like fossil fuels, uh, like you did, you know, screw off. Uh, but yet, you know, we don't see that happening. And, and why? Because they aren't free. Or they're just black freedom and IQ. I, maybe it's a combination of the two, uh, but it's probably, you know, mainly it's probably freedom because if they allowed at least freedom, they could at least like outsource IQ. So if they allowed freedom, they could outsource IQ, make a profit and benefit themselves and raise their living standards and industrialize. Uh, But the fact that they um, have been bribed by their government officials have been bribed, you know, at least by, by politicians who are pushing ESG and the green movement, green movement, and who won't, uh, you know, lend them money unless they industrialize with, you know, um, green sources, then they they basically limit them themselves. So in my opinion, you know, McCormick had a good point, but but Alex didn't push this overall uh, point of hey, it's the fault of these African nations to have complete freedom on their own. Uh, the West is not control is not in control of the freedom level of El Salvador or of African nations. So my larger point is, will Bitcoin actually, will Bitcoin actually like solve this problem of lack of freedom and, and solve corruption in these, in these countries? I don't think so. I mean, how, how will it solve the corruption problem? How will it solve the freedom problem? It's, you know, if Bitcoin is money and I don't really believe it is, but you know, I can concede that it could be a currency. Um, if it is a currency, it's just a means of exchange. It's just a way to um, to trade, you know, valuable things for other valuable things. So, my Bitcoin, though, does not solve the framework of how trade is done in a country. And especially if, and I have my, my serious, like, doubts, you know, as to how this Bitcoin was even presented to this government in, in, you know, the Central African Republic. You know, was this done on the up and up? Was the king there? Is there a king there? I assume, uh, you know, was the leader there bribed in Bitcoin? How much take is this guy, is this guy making and that's not even giving getting into the issues that Bitcoin is not a functional medium of exchange because it's not stable in price. So I think that Bitcoin seriously lacks like medium of exchange uh, functionality just because it's not stable. Um, to me, that's its main crux. 
and why you know it competes it's it, it really competes with like the stable coins of the world um and to be fair the stable coins you know only if they can be converted uh into dollars on demand are they legitimate and i have my doubts about whether of course they can be converted and i also have my doubts of how they're issued whether they're actually backed who's getting them first and the advantages given to likes of the Alameda research group you know that SPF controls FTX other large exchanges that are basically market makers uh, of all these crypto assets to be fair um, all these crypto assets are, are you know need to be traded in something and i think that the growth of stable coins not necessarily means it's a ponzi because you know the growth of stable coins stable coins act as a means of exchange and they are the main means of exchange because banks deny you know crypto exchanges uh dollar access uh, so I get it. I, I get why they exist. They serve a, a great utility. I just doubt the people that issue them are issuing them, you know, on the up and up. Uh, they haven't been tested yet, and I think they will be eventually. And uh, there's just too much. There's just too much greed and ability to inflate them that it's naive to think that they are not being um, printed without adequate backing. And I like to explain this with Tether. Um, so if you were to, um, if you're Tether, and you think about the commercial assets they have on their balance sheet, um, the way that they would do this legitimately would be to create a Tether token in exchange for a dollar and they would keep the dollar on their balance sheet, right, in exchange for the tether. So then they would have to go into the market of tether, buy back their own tether with the dollar they have on their balance sheet, and then proceed to lend this tether to a Celsius, right? Who we know is getting these tethers. I mean, this guy, this, this Alex Mashinsky guy admitted it. So they would then lend their own tether to someone else, you know, like an Alex Mashinsky. Does that make sense? Like logically, now that makes sense to me. This is how you do it on the up and up. But, you know, it, it would make greater sense to me, if I were tether, to create the tether token out of thin air and lend this directly to Celsius in exchange for a note to an IOU that says Celsius will pay back this tether plus an interest amount in tether in the future. And that is how I believe most, well, not most, but, you know, a good chunk at least um, of the tether is created. It's exactly the way uh, you would think of the Federal Reserve, you know, um, or a bank, you know, creating money out of thin air. And, and, you know, Tether has even, 
you know, changed their terms and said that it's not just backed one-to-one with dollars. It's backed by, um, you know, IOUs or commercial, this is what they call commercial paper. And we know that Tether has invested in the likes of all these different crypto institutions, you know, um, like Celsius, Blockstream, you know, there's a bunch of other ones, I'm sure, that I don't, I don't know about, but these are the ones that I do know about personally. Um, and it's just funny that, though, that the market still concedes because of the price. You know, you go, go on Coinbase. You now, the market still concedes that this stuff is worth a dollar. And to me, you know, that is a great, great, like, business that you've been able to convince this market that it's worth a dollar, you know, at least always uh, when when you need when you need it. Um, and you know, I know that Tether does probably private redemptions, but they don't guarantee redemptions for everyone. So, so your average Joe, your average bloke, you know, like me, would have to go to a Coinbase or a Kraken or something like that. To, to try to get out of my tether uh, if I were holding it. Now, who's holding this stuff, you know? That's been a big question. It's probably mainly, like, market-making people. Why would they hold this risk? I don't know. Maybe because they're getting a lot of it for free. Uh, that'd be a big incentive to keep that relationship going. So say you... It's the same thing to me as, like, say you were a big bank connected to the Fed... Or um, say the Fed, you know, they're going to create the CBDC, right? So they're going to—it's going to be a lot easier. Um, and even the Hamilton Project is even worse, right? This is the Treasury creating some kind of like peer-to-peer token that they want to do. Uh, this is this Ronan Gray guy who is just a snake. Um, uh, he's like a Democrat in this space. He's not really pro Bitcoin, but he's definitely a pro, you know, CBDC kind of government um, crypto. And uh, anyways, he's from UK. Why? Why is he even like mentioning policy in the United States? I don't know. I don't know how this guy got connected, but he is a snake. Um, but yeah, like, let's see. I forgot my train of thought. I do want to say that um, I think, you know, I was perplexed initially by the um, the the upsloping to the right chart of Tether. You know, it always goes up. People were saying, well, it never really goes down. Yeah, there's been a couple of blips where it goes down in its issuance, but it mainly goes up. But I but I do I do have a logical you know explanation for that in one sense. That, that could be totally legitimate. And that is that. The, look at the entire crypto space. Look at all the tokens that have been created. Uh, these tokens are traded in what? You know, in a stable coin, usually. Or, you know, they could be traded in Ethereum or other tokens. But mainly... You know, they need probably something kind of stable. So they use, you know, they back it with a stable coin. Uh, so the, the idea is that as you have more tokens, as you have more tokens created, as you have more cryptocurrencies created, uh, 
you have more um, need right, for a, a medium of transaction. And that has been stable coins. That's been USDT. That's been USDC. Uh, because Bitcoin is fundamentally just too volatile. People don't really want to uh, transact in it. Now, some people still do, but a lot of these tokens are built on the Ethereum network. And so you either need Ethereum or a token that resides on it to interact with all these new tokens that are being created. You need a form of liquidity. And Bitcoin, you know, isn't serving that need because it doesn't um, wrap Bitcoin. It's, it's just not on the same ecosystem as these other tokens. But my larger point, again, is that, you know, some of this need or demand for money, and I'm calling money here, you know, broadly, loosely here, but, but the demand for stable coins is that, you know, you have all these new tokens being created on Ethereum and, and other, you know, protocols, and you have side chains, and you have all these bridges, uh, you need something to, to transact with these tokens. So people are demanding money. And when people demand money, more money is created, right? More, more Tether is, is there, more, more USDC is there. What, what else would be there to transact, you know, all these tokens with, to buy these tokens? Yeah, you could have Ethereum, I suppose, but you want something stable, you want something, um, that you think is stable at least, and that, that acts stable at least in the market. And to be fair, USDT has has remained an active stable. I don't know if that's through market manipulation. I'm just gonna give them the benefit of the doubt for now. It's remained stable, good on them. So they've they've been king at dominating this, this medium of exchange and satisfying this this need, right, by all these people who want to trade and buy. You know, all these new tokens. They need something to do it with. And, and, and stable coins are the answer. So there is a utility for these stable coins, even though I don't think that they're entirely, you know, one-to-one -one backed. Um, and that, you know, because they're not one-to-one -one backed, they end up inflating and, and give advantages to certain players that they're close to. But they do act and serve a utility function. Uh, so I do want to mention that as a good argument that I haven't actually seen any of the Bitcoiners make for why the tether chart is up and to the right. Because there's a lot of people that say, hey, in a bear market, you know, tether, you know, should be redeemed. You know, it should go down. Uh, because, you know, functionally, if QE from the Fed is pulled out, the market needs to contract, just like every other market. Every, you know, the stock market goes down, everything goes down. Um, but why is, is stablecoin issuance still going up? Uh, well, you know, I actually don't know what happened in the bear market, you know, of 2018, whether tokens were still being created, right? if there was demand there. But, but yeah, this is a good argument for you guys to take and run with, um, to say, hey, there's this need to fill this, you know, dollar, you know, because I think the Bitcoiners are so, um, they're so, they don't want to admit that sort of the dollar is still the medium of exchange. 
And if they do that, they kind of undermine their argument. But the fact is the dollar still is what you buy Bitcoin with. And in the, in the crypto world, you know, stable coins are king. So you want there to be more dollars. You want there to be more stable coins. Uh, and anything that like promotes the issuance of more stable coins, more tether you know, up and to the right is actually good. I actually think that the altcoin argument is, you know, the Bitcoiners don't like altcoins. I think the altcoins actually help the price of Bitcoin. I think that any kind of crypto being created uh, because these, these assets are usually traded amongst themselves in trading pairs that they actually all help each other in inflating prices like number go up, you know, more like just like more, more um, stable coins that are in the marketplace, like more anything that's in the marketplace that is traded in Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin divided by anything, right. Um, helps number go up. So this idea that like, I, I get that, that there's a pot, right. So the Bitcoiners think, well, if you're trading stable coins, I'm sorry, or, or all coins, you know, that's, that's less dollars than Bitcoin, but you have to balance that out with, you know, a lot of these all coins are being traded in Bitcoin or fun, you know, flowing into Bitcoin. I mean, look at this, this Terra project. Yeah, I guess it was a stable coin, but, but look at all these people who, who put money into this box, right? SBF did this, did this great podcast with Bloomberg recently where they said there's this box. And, and money goes into this box. Well, think of money going into this terror box, and then this guy—I don't, I don't know the details—but this guy apparently decides that instead of an algorithmic stablecoin, he wants to go and buy Bitcoin uh, to stabilize his his project. Well, where did he get the funds to buy Bitcoin? Well, he had this box, right, of altcoins, right, this issuing this Luna, this Terra. And they somehow interact together. And there's this other box that interacted with that and gave like a 20%, you know, interest rate token called Anchor or something. But, but where do you, like, this is, this is flow. This is flow coming into these different boxes, these altcoins that ended up going into Bitcoin. That ended up, I don't know if they bought Bitcoin yet, but that was all over the news. So, so I think that maybe you can see my point there um i've been all over the place i think i'm gonna uh shut this down for now